Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. California voters passed a ballot measure in 2018 to do away with changing our clocks twice a year. But almost four years later, we're still springing forward like we did yesterday. Cap Radio's Nicole Nixon explains why. Prop 7 passed in 2018 and allows California lawmakers to vote to permanently keep the state in daylight saving time. That's the spring forward change. There's just one problem. Federal law doesn't allow states to switch to year-round daylight saving. It only allows permanent standard time, which is the fallback sunsets earlier time. Arizona and Hawaii are always on standard time. Assemblymember Stephen Choi authored a bill that would have California join them. The Irvine Republican argues this century-old time change is outdated. To my understanding was to save energy, but research has shown that that was not the case. So uh, uh, I see a lot more benefits by keeping one time. Dr. Kin Yuen is a sleep specialist at UC San Francisco. She says what Choi's proposing is healthier. We perform better, we feel better, and we make less mistakes and there will be less fatalities if we just keep standard time. Choi's bill will be amended to put the decision before voters. That means just like the autumn clock change, Californians could again be voting on this issue in early November. For the California Report, I'm Nicole Nixon in Sacramento. State lawmakers are expected today to vote on legislation to counter a court order freezing UC Berkeley's fall enrollment at last year's level. The California Supreme Court earlier this month declined to remove a cap on enrollment, while a lawsuit filed by a neighborhood group over the impact of the university's growth moves forward. San Francisco Assemblymember Phil Ting says his bill would give public universities 18 months to comply with the California Environment Environmental Quality Act before the courts can impose enrollment caps. It ensures that UC Berkeley can send out those 5,000 admissions letters, giving those students the opportunity to attend the best public university in the country. He says it would take effect immediately and retroactively if approved. That means the university could move forward with plans to enroll more than 5,000 freshmen. Community health clinics have vaccinated hundreds of thousands of low-income Californians for more than a year. But due to a federal funding glitch, the clinics have been absorbing the cost. As KPCC senior health reporter Jackie Fortier found, without federal reimbursement, LA's largest community health center may have to close vaccination sites in some of LA's poorest areas. 
Norma Solis is sitting in an exam room waiting to get her COVID-19 booster shot at a community clinic in South LA. I knew about it last time, but I wasn't brave enough to get it. Now I am. Her mom told her about St. John's Family Center when she needed care a few months ago after losing her job and health insurance. Now Solis is getting boosted to apply for more jobs. 99% of the jobs do require the, the vaccines, so not only is it the right thing to do, but it's also the professional thing to do if you're going to be working around other people. Medical aide Brianna Kirby gently pulls Salise's sleeve out of the way and gives her the shot. Perfect. So 15 minutes for observation in the lobby, okay? Community health clinics like St. John's have been the backbone of coronavirus vaccination efforts in LA's low-income neighborhoods. Those residents are more likely to both contract and die from COVID. The clinics are subsidized by the federal government and provide care regardless of a person's ability to pay, says St. John's CEO Jim Manja. We treat a lot of chronic disease. We treat a lot of patients with mental illness. Uh, we treat a lot of patients experiencing homelessness, generally low-income families, communities of color. Vaccine-only clinics were used to get the shots in arms quickly. We opened 26 vaccine centers. Uh, we uh, deployed three mobiles and a, a van. And we did a, a tremendous amount of advertising, social media, text blasting, uh, to just really drive up the vaccination rates. And it worked. St. John's clinics have administered over 425,000 COVID vaccines and counting, but they haven't been paid for most of them. We've never been paid for a Medi-Cal patient getting a COVID vaccine. Medi-Cal is the joint federal state program that provides health coverage for low-income people. Usually, health clinics like St. John's get reimbursed for the cost of each Medi-Cal patient's visit, but there was no way to bill Medi-Cal for just the shots. We are owed over six and a half million dollars for administering the vaccine to Medi-Cal patients. It's estimated LA's 58 community clinics may be owed tens of millions of dollars for vaccinating low-income Angelinos. It's very disappointing. We started doing widespread community vaccination in January of 2021. It's now 2022 and we haven't received a single dollar. What's, what's going on? The system should work better. Barbara Ferrer is the director of the L.A. County Department of Public Health. We wrote letters back in September asking for this issue to get resolved. The federal and state agencies in charge of Medi-Cal had crafted a new payment structure. Ferrer asked that the plan get approved quickly so the clinics could be paid. That was six months ago. She hasn't heard back. In the, in the middle of a pandemic where you have all the disproportionality that we've seen play out in poor communities and black and brown communities, not to be able to pay these folks seems more than misguided. It seems unconscionable. On the ground, the situation is dire. More than a year of paying for medical personnel to give the shots, security, masks and gloves. Manja says St. John's is at its breaking point. Without the money, he warns, vaccine clinics will close April 1st and 200 workers will be fired. We have a whole plan come April for the pediatric vaccine in partnership with school districts around the county. And so all of that will be shut down. That includes two vaccine sites at Compton Unified and six at L.A. Unified Schools. April is also when students in kindergarten and pre-K should become eligible for the vaccine. The federal agency, meanwhile, says the application is still under review. But even if it's approved soon, dispersing the money will take time. Time that these vaccine clinics just don't have. For The California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. 
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. As gas prices soar, a new bill would require oil refiners in California to publicly disclose how much they pay for crude oil and their profits from making and selling gasoline. Los Angeles State Senator Ben Allen says he authored the legislation to shed light on why the state's drivers pay more at the pump. So today we're asking the oil companies on behalf of California drivers, let's end the games of smoke and mirrors, open your books, show the public your true cost of doing business. Gas is $5.74 a gallon on average in California. That's the highest price in the country, according to AAA. A spokesman for the Western States Petroleum Association says it's reviewing the bill, but that the higher cost of gas here is partly due to the state's regulations and taxes. High school students across the state have been walking out of class to call for change in how administrators handle sexual assault claims. In Humboldt County last fall, students protested for three straight days. Months later, some students in the rural town of Fortuna say they're still grappling with the fallout of speaking out. KQED's Holly J. McDeed reports. Students say Fortuna is not a place where a whole lot happens. It's a rural community surrounded by redwoods and cannabis farms, a relatively small town where everyone knows everyone. Like, if you're not born and raised in Humboldt County, you're like nothing up here. It's very weird. Zelia Couchsand is 17 years old, and she was born in Santa Clara, but moved to Humboldt County over a decade ago. She's outspoken and has a way of sounding upbeat, even when talking about really painful experiences. Football is a huge deal in Fortuna, and the school's principal is also the school's assistant football coach. Fortuna High, we, like, thrive off football, I guess. Like, that's our whole, like, little town. That's, like, what we are. Last August, one of Zelia's friends told her a football player sexually assaulted her. The football player messaged Zelia, telling her to mind her business and that his family's reputation could be ruined. When word spread, classmates took sides. The Humboldt County Sheriff's Department said they began investigating after the school notified them about the assault. I just got sick, I think was like my main thing. The principal, Clint Dewey, did not respond to requests for comment. 
Zelia's friend ended up leaving the school, but Zelia says boys continued to harass her. Then in February, she says the alleged perpetrator approached her in the halls and called her a liar and attention seeker. Zelia met with the vice principal. I like cried in his office. I told them I was scared to be out of school. Zelia said it felt like she was in trouble for what happened. So the next day, she wore a t-shirt with the first name of the alleged perpetrator scribbled in marker along with words from a text message he sent related to the assault. Sherry Riggs is Zelia's guardian. She says she got a phone call from Zelia later that day. And she is hysterically crying. You know, and I said, where are you and what happened? And she said, I'm at school and I got suspended for three days. And I said, "Okay, why are you crying? Zelia told her she was crying because she didn't see the boy who she says harassed her and assaulted her friend receiving any discipline. Riggs hurried to the school to meet with the principal. I mean, I'm old. I have (laughs) four kids. I've talked to a lot of principals. Never in my entire life have I been talked to and yelled at. He's like, this is going to be short and sweet and you're going to get the hell out of my office. Again, Dewey did not respond to requests for comment. Zelia is Native American, a member of the Bear River Rancheria tribe. So Riggs called Zelia's tribe and several members joined them for a virtual meeting with the principal. He said she just wore that shirt to, to instigate a problem. I said, that's your opinion. She wore that shirt as armor to walk into a situation where she's harassed daily, you know, and and that made her feel strong and empowered to go to school. Zelia was still suspended, and she did not see the young man who she says harassed her face any discipline. Riggs filed a complaint with the district against the principal for unlawful discrimination and retaliation. She's doing what's right. She's standing up for herself and what's right, and she's not going to back down to you. Riggs' daughter, Tiara, is best friends with Zelia. They're inseparable. Tiara and a group of classmates protested the suspension. They walked with signs around the school because they were afraid of getting suspended for cutting class if they left campus. And it's just crazy to watch how divided our school has actually become after this. If they could, Tiara and Zelia would transfer to another school. But the alternatives are far away. So for now, the two are doing what they can to support each other. For the California Report, I'm Holly J. McDeed. You, of course, go to the library for books and information. But in Los Angeles, the public library system might soon be a place people go for help with mental health issues. From L.A., KPCC's Robert Garova explains. The library is looking to contract with individuals or groups to provide professional mental health services and or social services at libraries on an as-needed basis. That could mean connecting a library patron to mental health help the same way the library helps locate the right book for a research project. Having mental health professionals and social workers contracting directly with the library could also help people who come to the library experiencing a serious mental health crisis, says head of library experience Karen Pickard Four. You know, we're trying to have less police involvement. If someone is in crisis, sometimes it you know, can cause an incident. And the best person to handle that is a mental health worker. The budget for the mental health and social workers would come out of LAPL's security budget. The move stems from recommendations that came out of the library's safety and security project, a staff-led effort that stretches back about five years. For the California Report, I'm Robert Garova in Los Angeles. 
In San Francisco, the public library system started connecting patrons to mental health and other social services back in 2009. And that's the California Report for Monday, March 14th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Alex Hall. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford HealthCare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. The Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth, and Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures. Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading!